The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Well, good evening. Take your Bibles with me this evening. We're going back to John chapter 15, where we were last week. This is the third part of a message I began last week. Preached uh, part one and part two last Sunday uh, on the abundant life. And we talked about um, Jesus saying that he came that we might have life and that we might have it abundantly. And of course, the world equates an abundant life as a prosperous life, as a life filled with material blessings and material happiness and this is what the uh, this is what the prosperity preachers want you to think um, they want you to believe that if you come to them and give them everything you've got God will give it back to you in greater abundance but we know that that's not what the Lord is implying when he talks about an abundant life so we began looking at the abundant life uh, that Jesus spoke about and uh, we were studying it from John chapter 15 and we looked at a couple of things so far in our study. We, we said, number one, the abundant life is a fruitful life. And uh, we talked about uh, the fruitfulness that the Bible is referring to here is the, the works of the Spirit in our life. Uh, uh, it involves the winning of souls through our witness and the spiritual growth. And then secondly, we looked at the abundant life is an abiding life. And we spoke last Sunday evening. Uh, about this, where Jesus says, uh, abide in me and I in you. And we, we, we talked about the fact that uh, we are to abide in Christ. We looked at different aspects of that. Uh, we said we are to dwell in his word, and his word is to dwell in us. And we said, secondly, that we are to rest in his righteousness. Uh, there is no righteousness in, our, in we ourselves. Uh, all, any righteousness we project is because of Christ, the true vine. We looked at, thirdly, that we are to continue in his love. And he, he, he told us that in John chapter 15. And then we are to stand in his strength. And uh, of ourselves, we can do nothing. We can accomplish nothing. Uh, but in, when we stand in the strength of Christ, when we, when we put on the armor of God and stand in, in Christ's strength and his righteousness and his holiness, then we can certainly claim the scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. So that's what we looked at so far in our study of the abundant life. Now, tonight I'd like to conclude this, this uh, study by looking at the last two observations that I've made concerning the abundant life. So before we get into that, though, let's go ahead and, and bow our heads and pray for a moment. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, certainly I don't stand here tonight and, and profess to be a master at your word. Uh, Lord, I, I'm, I'm a feeble man, and, uh, but, but for your grace and by your Holy Spirit, uh, Lord, I cannot even perceive your, the truth of your word. So I ask that you strengthen each of us tonight, instruct us, give us uh, your grace and blessing, and, and teach us tonight through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk about tonight, number three, the abundant life is an obedient life. An obedient life. John chapter 15, we're there. Look at verse 10. 
we read here, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Uh, obedience. Pastor preached about that this morning. It's, it's a very prevalent theme throughout our, our, our doctrinal teachings and our beliefs. Obedience to God is absolutely foundational. Uh, what was the first sin committed by man? It was disobedience. Eve ate of the fruit. She disobeyed God. So disobedience is, is, is at the heart of every sin. Rebellion against God. Every sin that man commits, no matter what we want to think, is rebellion against God and his teachings and his principles. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 23, we read, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And this God is showing us his great abhorrence for disobedience by comparing our rebellion against his word and principles to such a vile practice as witchcraft, as satanic divinations. This, this matter is addressed in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Uh, I, this is not projected up there, but um, sorry about that. But I, I'm kind of like pastor. I, I study my messages again before I preach them, and I find more scriptures, and I add them. And I didn't have time to give them to Eric to put on the PowerPoint. But Deuteronomy chapter 18, if you want to go along there and read it, don't, don't lose John chapter 15. We'll come back. We read here, There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. And this is, this is what God thinks about Witchcraft and divination and these sort of things. Yet, Samuel tells us in the scripture that rebellion against God is, is no better than this. So when you or I rebel against God, we're, we're an abomination in his sight. And, and that's not a good thing to be, is it? Now, I want to go back to abiding in the vine for a moment. I spoke about this last week. And we talked about, remember we talked about the, the, three, um, the three characters in the allegory that Jesus gave us. There was the husbandman, which is the owner of the vineyard, which represents the father. There was the vine, and the vine, of course, is the source of all fruit. And that, we said, was Jesus, the Son of God. And then there were the branches. And the branches are you and I, the elect saints of God. We are the branches that abide in the vine and the fruit that we produce flows from the vine. It's not our fruit, it's his fruit. And it's manifested through us, but it is the fruit and righteousness of Christ. Now, let's go back to that, that vine for a moment. What does the husbandman do to a branch that is corrupt? Anyone remember? He purgeth it. 
He takes it away. A branch that bears no fruit. In John chapter 15, you should still be there. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may be, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, don't be confused by the fact that Jesus used the phrase in me to describe these corrupt branches that bear no fruit. I mentioned last Sunday that in my studying uh, the uh, uh, vines, I discovered that there are uh, shoots and, and, and little uh, entanglements that, that grow through the vine and, and corrupt the vine. Uh, I, I copied a little bit of that. They're called suckers and water sprouts. Suckers and water sprouts. They are latent buds embedded in the main trunk and they also produce shoots. Now the, the main, the vine, the main trunk produces branches. And it is these branches that bear forth the fruit. But these, these suckers and water sprouts, they're shoots, uh, that grow from the crown of the trunk. They develop on green shoots as, as axillary buds that never produce any fruit. These latent buds can remain dormant indefinitely until an extreme event such as an injury to the vine or very severe pruning stimulates renewed development and the shoots grow. Suckers often arise from buds at underground node positions on the trunk. In routine vine management, suckers are removed early in the season before axillary buds can mature. Similarly, above ground, suckers are typically stripped off the trunk manually, so a pruning stub does not remain to harbor additional latent buds that could produce more suckers in the following year. These are the tares amongst the wheat spoken of in Scripture. These are they that profess Christ, but have never been saved. Listen to what John Gill has to say concerning uh, this verse. He writes, there are two sorts of branches in Christ the vine. The one sort are such who have only a historical faith in him, believe but for a time, and are removed. They are such who only profess to believe in him, as Simon Magus did, are in him by profession only. They submit to outward ordinances, become church members, and so are reckoned to be in Christ. Being in a church state, as the churches of Judea and Thessalonica and others are said, in general, to be in Christ, though it is not to be thought that every individual person in these churches were truly and savingly in him. These branches are unfruitful ones. What fruit they seem to have withers away and proves not to be genuine fruit. What fruit they bring forth is to themselves and not to the glory of God. Being none of the fruits of his spirit and grace and such branches, the husbandman taketh away. But those branches who truly abide in Christ, who do produce fruit, some the scriptures say tenfold, some thirty, some an hundredfold. These, they are the ones that are obedient unto God and his word. So these, these, these true vines, these true, true branches in the vine are those within the church who are obedient to the Father. As pastor preached this morning, our obedience to God's principles, our obedience to God's word is indeed 
a sign of evidence of, of, this, of the faith of God in our lives. Now certainly, even an unsaved man can be obedient for a time, but only a true believer will stay faithful and obedient unto the Father throughout his life. So let's look for a moment at obedience. I just want to share a few thoughts with you concerning this matter of obedience. First of all, letter A on your study sheets, obedience begins with faith. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Everything in the Christian's life begins with faith. It is impossible to be saved without faith. And furthermore, it is imperative that you and I realize that. In our old nature, we cannot exhibit faith in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, we read, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man cannot possess true faith. He may exhibit a, a, a semblance of faith. We, I spoke a little bit about this last week, about the, the fake fruit. Remember, we talked about wax fruit, and wax fruit serves no purpose. It might, be, it might look good, but it has no sustenance. It can't nourish you. Uh, it's, it's of no use to you whatsoever. So faith uh, is, is not possible for an unsaved man. Even the faith to believe, even the faith to believe in Jesus Christ is given to you and I by the Father. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. In other words, what Paul is saying is even that faith, by which you are saved, is not of you. That was not your faith. That was faith given to you by God the Father. It is God that gives us the faith we need to believe, as well as the faith we need to live. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, we read, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Do you see that? The measure of faith. God has dealt to every man. The faith that he needs. The faith that we need to believe. The faith that we need to live. Remember, Scripture tells us the just shall live by faith. But we can't produce faith in ourselves. The faith we have to live each day comes from God the Father by his grace, and his son Jesus Christ. Don't ever say, I just don't have that much faith. <laughs> Over the years, I've had people tell me that. Oh, I'm sorry, but I just don't have that kind of faith. Oh, yes, you do. You, you don't produce that faith. But God has given you that faith. You just need to act upon the faith that God has given you. God has given you all the faith you need. You have all the faith you need to believe. And you have all the faith you need to obey. So obedience begins with faith. But then, 
Another thing about obedience is letter B, that it is before sacrifice. It is before sacrifice. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse number 22. Samuel speaking to Saul. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. We know the story. Saul disobeyed God. He didn't utterly destroy Amalek. He saved the women alive and the children and and he, he kept the sheep and the goats and the cattle. And, and he, he wrapped all of that up in a lie. He, di- he, he didn't just say, well, I disobeyed the Lord because I, I, I rethought his plan. And, and I thought I'd show mercy unto the women and children. And, and I thought I'd, I'd save all these cattle and sheep because they're worth a lot of money. He could have said that, but he didn't. What did he say? Well, the people... The people wanted to keep it alive. And, and we saved these so that we could sacrifice to God. But God didn't ask him to make a sacrifice. God asked him to destroy Amalek. He disobeyed God, plain and simple. And God does not want us to forsake obedience for the sake of sacrifice. Now, let me say this. God does want us to live sacrificial lives. He does want us to live a sacrificial life. In fact, Paul stated just that in Scripture, in Romans chapter 12. He said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So, he stated that it is a reasonable thing for us to be sacrificial in our life. However, This does not supersede our obedience. I have known many Christians who (laughs) are more than willing to do things in an attempt to be holy and righteous. They'll do a lot of things, but often they fail to obey the Lord. They preach, they sing, they tithe, they volunteer, But all the while they fail to obey the Lord in things in their lives, such as husbands love your wives, fathers admonish your children, servants obey your masters, brethren love and respect one another. (laughs) Pastor and I were discussing this a little bit this morning. How in many of the fundamental Baptist churches today there are the men of God are, are, are corrupt. Who, they lack morals. They, they lack ethics and character. Oh, they'll make, they'll, they, they, they sacrifice their lives, so they say, in pursuit of the ministry, but all the while, they fail in the obedience to, 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 to God the Father. They're like whited sepulchers, inwardly filled with the bones of dead men. Something is wrong there. We offer God our sacrifice, but we fail to give him our obedience. That's exactly what Saul did. And he blamed the people for it. Don't lose your spot in John chapter 15, but let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let's just go there real quickly. 
1 Samuel chapter 15. And let's look beginning at verse 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for uh, him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare uh, them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. That's pretty, pretty plain. That's pretty clear. The Lord told him exactly what he wanted him to do. Now look at verse 7. And Saul smote the Amalekites from, uh, from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and lambs and all that was good. It would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, uh, that they destroyed utterly. Okay? So he didn't obey the, the, the Lord. He didn't utterly destroy everything. Now let's go to verse number 19. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? But thou didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, okay, here we go, but the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which, thou, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, in Gilgal. He blamed the people for his disobedience. What about you and I tonight? Are we obeying the voice of the Lord? Or are we like Saul? Re-evaluating the commands of God <laughs> to make them say what we want them to say. Obedience begins with faith. Obedience is before sacrifice. And I could say so much more but I have to keep moving. So then thirdly, letter C, obedience results in friendship with Christ. Obedience results in friendship with Christ. Back at John chapter 15, look at verse 14. Jesus states here, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Ye are my friends. Now, you tell me, what could be a more abundant life than to be a friend of Jesus? Can you think of anything that's more valuable than that? All the wealth in the world can't compare to friendship with Christ. All the power and all the authority. None of it can compare to being a friend of Christ. Solomon knew this. That's why, that's why in, 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 his, in his writings he said all is vanity. Solomon was the richest man to ever live. He, he had all the authority a man could possibly want. Yet he said it's all vanity. It's all worthless. None of it is worth anything. But to be a friend of Jesus. 
is beyond all riches. Consider the men of the Bible who were obedient unto God and the relationship that we see resulted from their obedience. I think about Noah. God commanded Noah and Noah obeyed God. And we see in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 22, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And then in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8 we see, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah had a very good relationship with God. He was obedient to the Father, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Abraham. In James chapter 2 and verse 23, uh, we read, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. What about Joshua and Caleb? Of the twelve men sent to spy out the land, only Joshua and Caleb had enough faith in God to see the land the way God wanted them to see it, and they were obedient unto God. And in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 12 we read, Save Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. But once again, in our natural state, we are unable to produce this fruit. This fruit of an obedient life. It is only by the power and the work of the vine that we can bear this fruit. It is only by the grace and mercy of God, through the blood of Christ, and by the indwelling Spirit, that we are able to bear this fruit, that we are able to obey the commands of the Lord and not live a rebellious life. That fruit of obedience... That fruit of obedience, we don't produce it. In our heart is only the ability to rebel against God. Our mind devises, the scriptures say, wicked imaginations continually. So where does this fruit come? How does this fruit grow? How, does it, how is it produced in our life? It's produced through the vine. It flows to us. From Jesus Christ, the vine. When we abide in the vine, when we are attached to the vine, and, and when we draw our, our strength, and when we draw our, our, our nourishment, and when we draw our, our faith and hope and all these things through the vine, then, then what is produced through us, the branches, is, an, is a life lived in the image of Christ. A life that produces a witness. A life that produces the fruit of the Spirit. A life that produces obedience. The abundant life, it's a fruitful life. It's an abiding life. It's an obedient life. But then number four tonight, the abundant life is a life of love. Again, in John chapter 15, look at verse 12. This is my command, commandment, that ye love one another 
as I have loved you. Again, this fruit, this fruit of love does not agree with the old nature of man. In the flesh, we cannot love another as Christ loves. In the flesh, we do not have the ability to love as Christ loved. In the flesh, we love only those that love us. In the flesh, we love only those that are lovable. In the flesh, we do not love those that wrong us. In the flesh, we do not love those that do not treat us the way we want to be treated or the way we believe we should be treated. In the flesh, we do not love those that are unlovable. We know this is true. Natural man does not, does not know what love is. He has, a, he has a perception of love, but it's not biblical love. It's not true love. It always has ulterior motives. And it's always for self-satisfaction. But the love that grows through us from the vine is a love that we could not possibly reproduce ourselves. Consider Stephen for a moment. Let's, let's turn together to Acts chapter 7. Let's go together. Acts chapter 7. And look at verse number 54. When they had heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now I want you to, I want you to stop for a moment. I want, you to, I want you to create a picture in your mind of that. What does it mean when it says someone gnashed on you with their teeth? Can anyone tell me? What do you, what do you think that means? Huh? Yeah, they were biting on him. It was so mad. You ever been so mad at somebody you wanted to bite them? I've never been that mad. I've been pretty mad. But I've never been so mad that I wanted to run up to someone and bite them. But that's what, that's what they did. They started to argh, gnash on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, how many of you think he would have been able to do that in his flesh. How many of you think Stephen would have been able to stand there with, pe- with men beating on him and biting on him and, and just, being f- be, be just looking up to heaven and, 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 and rejoicing? Verse 56, and, he, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Saul, who became who? Paul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, I'm pretty sure that Stephen didn't necessarily like the men that were killing him. But I do know that he loved them. I know this because of the very last words he spoke on this earth. The very last words he spoke was that God would forgive them. And if Stephen didn't love these men, he certainly wouldn't have asked the Lord to forgive them. You see, Stephen had a love flowing through him that came from Christ. It was, in fact, it's the same love Jesus had upon the cross. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that love comes from abiding in the vine. It's part of that abundant life that God desires that we have. You see, there's a difference between liking someone and loving them. Now, those of you who are married here tonight know what I'm talking about. Do you love your spouse? Husbands, do you love your wives? Of course you're all going to say yes, and none of you are going to say no. But let me ask you this. Is there ever a time when you don't necessarily like her so much? And, and if you say, if you don't answer that question right, I got you there too. Husbands get mad at their wives, don't you? Wives, you get mad at your husbands, don't you? But you love each other. Now, the definition of like is to be fond of. While the definition of love is to possess a strong, positive emotion of regard and affection. So you see, it's possible to love men without liking them. And, and I think it's important we understand that. Jesus didn't command us to like one another, although that's a good thing to do. He did, he did command us to, as much as is possible, to dwell peaceably with all men. But he commanded us to love one another, even as he loves us. And the only way we will accomplish this, the only way we will bear this fruit, is if we abide in the vine, and this is the abundant life that God wants us to have. Now, quickly, in closing, I'm going to try to be done in six minutes. How does Christ love us, the branches that abide in him in the vine? Well, let me share some thoughts and I'll be done. First, he loves us unconditionally. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ does not love us because we deserve to be loved. He loves us because we are God's elect children. Not because of, of who we are, but because of what he's done. And not because of what we've done, but because of who he is. And nothing I did caused him to love me. And nothing I can do will cause him to stop loving me. 
In Romans chapter 8, we read, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus loves us unconditionally. Secondly, he loves us eternally. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3, we read, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. This is the great breath of God's love. He loved me before I knew him. He loved me before the world was formed. And he will love me for all eternity. His love for me will never end. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us eternally. Then thirdly, he loves us sacrificially. In John chapter 15 and verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, we read, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now this is hard. To give your life for another. Certainly, this can only be done for someone you truly love. You wouldn't sacrifice your life for someone that you don't love. I think about soldiers tonight. A soldier who gives his life on the battlefield. He doesn't die because he likes everyone in America. In fact, there's a lot of people in America not worth dying for, isn't there? But he does love America. He loves his nation. He loves freedom. He loves his country. And he says those things are worth dying for. Not for those that will spit on the flag, not for those that will burn the flag, but for America. He will lay down his life. He loves liberty, or he or she loves liberty. And even though they don't like everyone, they love their nation and its citizens, and therefore they will die for that. And the Father loves us, and it was the Father's will that we be saved. And Jesus made the sacrifice because he loved us sacrificially. But we don't, we don't show, always show that kind of love, do we? 
Jesus said that ye love one another as I have loved you. That's how we're to love. We're to love each other that way. We're to love the church that way. We're to love all of God's children that way. We're to love the Father. We're to love Him enough to obey Him. And we're to love Him enough to to lay aside our desires and our wills and our wants and say, Father, not what I will, but what Thou will. Let Thy will be done through me. That's what we need to have. Well, it's been six minutes. There's so much more that could be said, and, and I'm sure a man who, who's a better speaker and, than me could have stood here and said these same things much more eloquently than I can say them. But God, Jesus desires that we would have life. He came that we would have life and that we would have it abundantly. And he's not talking about material wealth. He's not talking about prosperity. He desires that we would have a fruitful life, an abiding life, a life life that flows through the vine, his image projected through us, that we would live an abundant spiritual life and that our life would show forth the righteousness of Christ. If we are living the abundant life, when I started last Sunday morning, I, I asked how many of you would, if, would be interested if I could offer you a life filled with joy and with blessedness, and filled with assurance and peace. And everyone said, yeah, I'd, I would like that life. Well, this is how you have that life. You have that abundant life by dwelling in Christ, by, by living in the vine. And allowing Christ to live through you. Remember Paul said for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul, the man who, who stood and held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen. Paul is the man who lived an abundant life. And he loved the way the Savior loved. And he, he was a witness for Christ. And he, his life was a fruitful life. That's, that's what I want. That's what I pray for. I ask that the Lord would, would use me as unworthy as I am. And I just, wait, I just pray that the Lord would use me to glorify himself in this life. The abundant life, it's, it's a fruitful life. It's an abiding life, it's an obedient life, and it's a loving life. I hope this has been helpful. I hope that we can take what the Lord has given us in these three messages and we can apply them to our lives so that we too can live that abundant life that Jesus desired that we would live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, tonight there are so many, so un, just an untold number of, of people who are trying to live a fruitful life. But Lord, they're trying to do it apart from you, apart from the vine.
And Father, I pray that we would abide in Your Word and that we would abide in You and that we would yield ourselves to You and that You would live through us. Use us, Father. Fulfill in us uh, the purposes that You have for us. We pray You just be with us tonight and bless us as we go forth from this place. Make us, make us witnesses unto You. And help us, Lord, just to Project the image of Christ in everything that we do. Thank you for your word. We ask you to bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.